to it uh, about this letter. It's written by Paul. It's one of the earlier letters that he wrote in terms of uh, where it fits in the, uh, the kind of order. You know that in the Bible they don't happen in order of when they were written. Uh, they happen in order of length. Uh, it's a kind of memory device. So if you could learn Romans, it was all getting easier after that. Um, did you know that? There you go. Uh, so First Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth, which is uh, kind of southern Greece, south of Athens. And uh, it was a strategic place uh, because um, a lot of trade would come past. And they either had to go around the bottom of Greece and uh, around the rocks and the little islands. And it was all sorts of kind of shipping hazards. But there's a, a little bit, it's called an isthmus. It's a technical word. Uh, it's kind of hard to say. Isthmus. Try it later. There's a lot of hissing going on. There. Uh, yeah, you can try it now if you want. And um, in order to save them a lot of time, they used to take the boats out of the water and they would drag them across this little kind of bit of land uh, and uh, that they would then put them back, the boats back in the sea on the other side. So it would shorten their journeys considerably. And in the middle of that, right where they would, all this trade would pass across the, uh, the Mediterranean, Corinth developed, became a major city, it became a, a massive place of commerce, and, um, and it was also a little bit um, of a, a town with a reputation, as Phil reminded us last week. If you got called a Corinthian, it wasn't a good title to wear, if you'd get my drift. It was to do with uh, all sorts of, of, uh, of uh, kind of, well, I'm sure you can imagine. Anyway, so I'm going to read uh, from... First Corinthians chapter 1, all the way through to verse 9. Phil covered the opening verses, but I wanted to read them in context as for us. So Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await, eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you uh, for the inspiration you gave to your child, Paul. You raised him up to be an apostle. That such which is love for you and his uh, commitment to Jesus Christ and his understanding of the things and the ways of God, we are privileged to hear what he said and what he wrote, and how he perceived things. And thank you for preserving these letters 
and through them that they become holy scripture. And they're powerful and they're timely. And they're given to reveal Jesus Christ and to to shine a light upon what it means to be a people of God gathered in a particular place. Corinth or Chipping Camden. Holy Spirit, help me as I, I reflect on these words. Help us to take what you would say, to embrace it wholeheartedly. To gain a greater clarity, a deeper faith, a renewed commitment to the ways and the purposes and the person of Jesus. Together we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you noticed that uh, people uh, can give themselves away of actually what's going on in their heart by what they talk about. Um, whether it's sport, some rugby things on today, apparently, uh, you've kind of gathered from uh, when you've heard Phil and I over the years that uh, Phil is a little bit more interested in the sporting endeavours of our nation than me. I know rugby is a pointy ball. <laughs> there was some World Cup thing last year. I, I mean, that's good for me. <laughs> Phil's despairing. Uh, you can tell a lot about people about what they talk about. I was uh, had the privilege of uh, praying with. Uh, 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 a young uh, young man, George, the other night. Uh, he was uh, he's my uh, dear family's friend and uh, one of the sibling of one of my godchildren. And uh, I was praying with all of them. And I said, "What would you like? What do you want us to pray for this evening?" Uh, just uh, kind of as he was kind of getting ready to go to bed. And he said, uh, "Well, you pray because he knows what I do, and he, I think he thinks I'm better at it." I said, "Well, I can pray with you, but I'd like, it'd be great if you can pray too." So I said, what would you like to pray for? And he he thought for a moment and he said, well, I know there's a lot of challenges in the world at the moment. And uh, there's a lot of, we need, there's a lot of places that need peace. And I was like, yeah. And he'd heard about the fires in Australia. And he said, you know, there might be lightning that hits electricity and then people's iPads will go off. (laughs) So I said, well, let's pray for those places in difficulty. He's only seven. I mean, uh, Tell what he's interested in. But I thought, what a lovely thing. So we, uh, I prayed for that and said, George, what would you like to pray for? And he said, well, can you ask God that for my birthday, I'd get the Avengers uh, Lego, please. <laughs> Bear in mind, this isn't until the end of May. So that was on his heart. You can tell a lot about what people, what they say. If you've ever come across those who've fallen in love, it can be very, very sweet. Can't it? You uh, see in people's demeanor, in their attitude and actions, what's in their heart. You can see uh, uh, and discover and discern a lot about what's in someone's heart by the passions that they speak of. And you can tell a lot about people's priorities from just having some time to listen. Whether those are good and virtuous or whether they aren't. James, the writer of another letter, says it's amazing what the mouth does, how it reflects the heart. 
Paul, in this opening part in his letter, but a consistent theme, speaks of thanksgiving. Someone pointed uh, this out uh, when uh, we, we come on to the next uh, little bit of uh, the text, which uh, begins with the words in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Paul is very real about uh, the church in Corinth, and he's writing for their benefit. Uh, someone penned something like this, to dwell above with the saints we love, well, that will be such glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. that when we read these opening verses in the, the letter to Corinth, this, this first Corinthians, it's, it's really worth recognizing that from the outset and at the circumference of what he is saying and will go on to say, it's really important that we kind of get this basic thing lodged deeply for us. Because we're going to go on to some other stuff in the letter of Corinth, and you're very welcome to, to read ahead and see what comes up. And uh, first on the installment uh, that uh, will be next week is all about church division. Yay! Who'd have thought that churches could fall out with people? Who'd have thought that churches divide and split? I mean, who'd have thought that these wonderful people that you're sitting next to might not uh, think the same way that you do or have the same priorities that you do or have different opinions about what leadership of a local church should look like? I mean, maybe this is just a deep surprise to you, but there's a lot of knowing smiles. You've been around enough to know that things of this nature are very real. Paul is going to come on to that. But before we do and before we launch into all the other things that Paul rightly wants to encourage and champion and, and speak into the life of the local church because they're people with issues and people in a culture that has issues and it doesn't naturally and easily become uh, just straightforward to follow Jesus. There's a reflection and a learning, a turning, a repenting and a believing always in the, in the journey of discipleship. He wants to set things clearly down in the first place. About all the benchmark, the bedrock, the foundation. And that's Jesus. I mean, if you uh, were with me uh, following uh, the, the reading that we had, one name keeps popping up in these opening nine verses. It demonstrates what's on Paul's heart. Or in, in actual fact, who's in Paul's heart. Heart. One name is front and center. It just keeps popping up. And as such, it's easy to lose sight, as I've been trying to, to underline and highlight for it. It's tr easy to lose sight of this in this letter to come, of the big issues of ethics and church discipline, of, of how as someone is to live faithfully in a world that doesn't uh, want to live faithfully, that encourages us to live to our own desires. What's in Paul's heart? Is Jesus. Eight times in nine verses, he is referred to. And in fact, it's really important that we grasp this. Without uh, that recognition that Jesus is at the center, nothing that he will go on to say 
or nothing that uh, he did in the world would make sense other than his utter commitment and devotion and loyalty and the centrality Jesus has, not only in Paul's life, but in the life of every local church. Of who we are. It has to be centered around Jesus. Jesus comes first. One of those things that, that we, uh, we see in the letters to the churches in Revelation, in those early chapters in Revelation. It's all about Jesus. That Jesus' word to the local church, he said, you've forgotten me. Your love for me's uh, grown half-hearted. Whatever it is, it comes first. Not just the practices, what we do, how we do it. Jesus. 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 Paul wants the church in Corinth and us, the Corinthians, to get hold of this most important thing. That without Jesus at the center of our thought or of our imagination, of our lives as individuals, as lives together, the wheels quickly fall off and there's a bit of a train wreck. Now, Having Jesus at the heart doesn't necessarily be this kind of uh, quick fix panacea, this utopia arrives. Phil was reminding us of that last week, that, that, that there's no rose-tinted look back at the early church. I mean, in Pen- the day of Pentecost and the day shortly after, it was an amazing time. Hundreds of people added to the church, that they held together everything in unity and they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking of bread. And, and it was an amazing time, but, but quickly you see that it, it, it doesn't stay like that. That the Jewish widows and the, the, the Gentile widows had a bit of a bickering and a falling out. Because some are getting more than others. There was a question about leadership. Have leaders been too busy and are having to appoint others to, to join in the ministry? Read the stories. It's writ large. But Paul wants us to grasp this again. Jesus is first. Jesus is the center of our life, but he's bigger than that. Of our world and all of history. For the Jewish background believers in Corinth, that wouldn't be such a shock that God is in charge. But for the, for the Gentile people, those who've come from, from all sorts of different ideas and, and, uh, and opinions about how the world is, from no God to all sorts of gods. I mean, read your Greek and Roman history. They had a whole panoply of them, of ideologies, of thoughts, of, uh, of wisdom schools and philosophers. I mean, it was a, an era. I mean, if they'd have had the internet and the blogosphere, I mean, it would have been astounding. <laughs> Just like our time. Paul is right. And again in our time, Jesus is the center, not only of the church, but of world, of the world and of history. It's God's story. It's God's story in the coming of his son. It's God's story in choosing a people that would reflect his glory. It's God's story. In rescuing each and every one of us for his glory. And of course he says he's going to give us life in all its fullness. 
But if we think it's actually now about just my life and how I will live and it's all about comfort and, and prosperity and, and, uh, and kind of me just being happy, then we've kind of misreading what fullness of life is about. It's about living for him, of laying down our life. I'm not counting our life something to be gained, but to be given up. And in so doing comes fullness of life. Paul would say to the church in Philippi, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the nature of servant. That's what he's envisaging. Before we get on to the so what, it's the so. So Jesus. So Jesus that we're caught up in the movement of the power and the love of God at work in his world and veiled through Jesus Christ. In verse 2, we're told to be a, a holy people. A people that are set apart. A people that are set aside. A people that are called out and called together. To reflect and be the people of God, lights in this dark world. To be this holy, rescued people. That's a major theme that will come up again and again and again. Like this weaving thread through all of the discussions that he comes up into in Corinth. Do you sue your fellow believer when they, they break a contract or they let you down? How do we use our bodies and, and how do we uh, kind of, uh, what's our sexual ethic? What happens when someone lets us down? Do we treat the lesser as well as the greater? I mean, at this meal that we often read about in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, often you're just getting drunk on the wine. I mean, we only give you little cups and it's non-alcoholic. We didn't want to go there this morning. But he says, because of Jesus, all of this then flows. The ethics are Christ-centered. It matters, he says, because we have to remember whose we are. We're called to be a holy people. Not our initiative, his. Chosen by him, calling on the one name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where unity comes. Unity comes in a fellowship because Jesus comes first. That we submit ourselves to him and his ways. In everything, body, mind, soul, and strength. He talks about the past of what he has done in Jesus Christ. He speaks in these verses uh, four to nine about the present of, of who they are and also refers in this prayer of thanksgiving to whom they will be in the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus at the center. As I've thought about this and reflected on it, it's, it's really interesting about perspective. What we say, what is in our heart comes out in that which we give voice to, for good or bad, whether we're passionate, what we're passionate about. The latest Netflix series, 
perspectives. I've got a few things to just highlight this. You may have seen these before. So, Alan, can we have the first one? It says, these, are, these are kind of optical illusions, so we'll just see what you see. Say what you see. Um, it's entitled, My Wife and My Mother-in-Law. It's clever, isn't it? Who, who do you see? Do you see a young woman or an old woman? Hands up, young woman. Hands up, old woman. Hands up both, because you've seen it before. Hands up who you're going, what? I can't see the other. Everyone's going, where? Where is it? So uh, obviously the, the, uh, the young lady's kind of got her, her face is pointing away. You can see her ear. I'm like in the pose now. Without the fairy thing. Uh, but then if you want to see the old, uh, the old lady, she's side on. And there's the, the big nose is um, uh, of the, the, la- the, the older lady's nose. Uh, whereas if it's, you're seeing the young lady, it's the side of her chin. Can you see the difference? Yeah, amazing, isn't it? What about this next one? What do you see? So who sees an animal? Let's start there with the low bar. Who sees, yeah, you see an animal. Who sees a duck? Who sees a rabbit? Now you're going. Where? So the duck... Um, it's kind of its bill is over this side, yeah. The rabbit, its eye and its face is that one. Those are the ears. The bill is the ears. Do you see it? Perspective. And the next one. There's no trick to this. It's not an optical illusion. But in the things of church life, in the things that Paul was writing to in Corinth, For many, they would see mess and brokenness and extremes. And how does all this mixed up worship, passionate, but off beam, loud and dishonoring, chaotic at times, of some being in the in crowd and some not, of saying, well, because I love Jesus, anything is possible. No matter who I am, what I do, I can, I can do this because the grace of God is sufficient. And Paul says, you're really barking up the wrong tree there. Because it's about Jesus. I'm just checking you've got the right picture that I put up. Yeah. Because at the Paul, in the heart of that picture, you can probably see a heart. Love. And love that is defined and centered and demonstrated and exemplified by Jesus. It's wonderful that in Corinth, in this letter in in chapter 13, we have these most amazing words. Love is patient and kind. Perspective. Perspective. He says, I always give, I always thank my God for you. He's about to address some deep challenges. There's a deep 
kind of a, a, a problem. There's deep problems in the church that he's he's seeking to to uh, to speak into. And one of the next ones will be how we get on together and how we can say, well, I follow this and I follow this person and and they're better because of this. And uh, and there's there's the kind of real trailblazers and there's the those who would perhaps be more traditionalists and. Well, we'll see that soon. But before anything, the perspective of Paul is, I give thanks. Even in the mess, even in the fallouts, I give thanks. In the deep division, in the, the believers suing each other, in the dishonor because favoritism is being showed even at the most wonderful meal of the Lord's table, where the rich are given spe- special status and the poor are left out in the periphery because who are they and who do they think they are? And the pride and the arrogance and the, the super spirituality that they had, even amidst all that, I give thanks for you. Why? Because you belong to Jesus and Jesus comes first. What's in Paul's heart spills out. And it's thankfulness. Thankful for the past, for the grace abounding, the fullness of God called in the past to be a people of God rescued and set free entirely, that the cross has forgiven all and every sin, that a new humanity is being called together around and centered upon Jesus Christ. God's purposes entirely worked through Jesus. That's why he's at the center. And he gives thanks in verses 5, 6, and 7 for the present, for the community of learners. These brothers and sisters, with all their faults, the perspective, he says, I give thanks for you because you're growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you have discovered a new way of life, that you're able to teach and be equipped and gifted in every way, and you can strengthen each other. Wow, look at the perspective of these people in Corinth. How amazing are they in the hands of God who's rescued them. Equipped in the present, I give thanks. One of the challenges I, I faced in my old church in, in Leicester was on the outer edge of, of Leicester on a council estate with people who, for whom education hadn't achieved too much and job prospects were limited and, and uh, people struggled in all sorts of ways. And occasionally, well, more than occasionally, often people would kind of look at me and say, well, if only we were like a different church that had resources and experience and expertise. If only we were like them. And I thought, where's the perspective of Jesus here? The Holy Spirit indwells you. All things are possible. He chooses the weak to shame the wise, to confound the strong. Sometimes in our church here, we look at other places and maybe listen to other worship leaders and preachers and, and think they've, probably, they've got all the, the great pioneers. Maybe they do. But one of the things that I know Phil and I and, and the leadership team try to do is, is recognize the perspective. God has called us together for this time in this place for his purposes. Wow. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, who's alive within us. 
give thanks. Of course, we're not perfect. Of course, there's things that will come into your mind when you think, yeah, but what about? Hold it in perspective. Are you seeing the problem? Or are you seeing Jesus? That's not to say that Paul is going to gloss over or sweep stuff under the carpet. Not at all. He's got some strong words, powerful teaching. But he does say, hold the perspective of Jesus. If we're going to get through these things, church in Corinth, it has to be around Jesus. If we're going to deal with with how we disagree and what happens when we disagree and, and things get a little bit iffy, it's got to be around Jesus. It's his story. Our church is centered and shaped around him. You know, when two or three of us get together, there is more that unites us than divides us. Do you know that? Even if you don't like the person because they've really annoyed you, or they don't even remember your name, or they blanked you, or they didn't invite you to something, or there was a cross word spoken, more unites than divides. He closes this little opening section. He says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Fellowship is a a wonderfully um, amazing word. It doesn't just mean ham sandwiches and volivants and quiche uh, in a supper after, you know, gathering after church. Well, let's have a fellowship meal. It is good to have those things and vegan things too. Fellowship is a, is a word that, that speaks of belonging, of partnership, of family. And that family is because God, our Father, has called it into being through Jesus Christ who has established it, who is both our Lord and older brother, and he indwells each one of us. Jesus at the center. That this world is the Lord's and you in it. God is at work in the mess. It's not a perfect picture. It's not a completed picture. We sometimes forget that. We we have this longing for it to be just so and, and rightly so because we have a hope of how things will be. But the picture is being painted. And if you've ever been in a child's nursery when paint and glitter and glue and things are around, is it neat? You're not convinced. Is it neat? It's a work in progress. God is at work in the mess. We either see the mess and think, what a terrible thing. It's going to take ages to tidy up. Or think, look at what is being created. Look at what is being expressed. That for Paul, as he wrote this wonderful letter, in the midst of everything that he's perceiving and challenging, his perspective is true. 
Jesus is at the center. And out of that devotion, out of that commitment, out of that reminder and that calling back to each one of us, we then learn how to be a holy people. Not just a holy person, not just as individuals, but a people together who can bear with one another and love one another and, and be a shining light to each other and to this world. Let's pray.